N asks, Ayn Rand writes about a sense of life in many places, such as Romantic Manifesto, Return of the Primitive, and Philosophy Who Needs It. I still have a hard time to understand what it is, how one forms it, and if wanting to, change it, changes it. How should one think to get a better sense of the concept, a sense of life? A sense of life is an intuitive view about the world. It's what seems natural or second nature to you. What do you expect in the world? What sort of world do you think you live in, in broad, general ways? So it's not details like what models of car exists. It's not details like whether iPhones are important. It's things like, are people good or bad? Can you trust people or are people dishonest? Do you expect disasters and misery or do you expect happiness and joy? Do you expect success or failure in life? Do you think you have a good shot at success or not? Do you expect to be oppressed by authority your whole life, or do you expect to be mostly free, with oppression and tyranny being the exception? Do you think reason is effective at dealing with the world? It's practical, it works really well, it makes a big difference, or do you think reason's not that effective, the world is sort of a chaotic mess that doesn't make that much sense? And it's not, what is your conscious answer to this? What words would you say? Would you pay lip service to reason? It is. Uh, more about like your emotions and your intuitions and how you deal with the world, um, which is what governs a lot of your actual behavior. When you see that you say you believe in reason, but you don't act that way, you don't use it very much, you don't pursue it and try to learn about it nearly as much as you say it's important, that shows your sense of life and other uh, like subconscious things are different than your conscious things, conscious claims. And the, the sense of life stuff and the unconscious stuff is often more important and more consequential in your life. Senses of life are formed primarily during childhood. You encounter the world, you encounter your parents, you have your first experiences, your second experiences, and you see what happens. Are people helpful or unhelpful? Are people mean to you or nice to you? Um, what's your impression of the things they're telling you? Do you find them honest and helpful or dishonest and sneaky stuff like that gives you an impression of what sort of world you're living in and how to deal with it and then you develop strategies for how to deal with it uh, coping strategies if you find negative things in the world and if you find positive things in the world then your strategies for how to deal with it can be more open and cooperative rather than like adversarial and uh, lone wolf type now, the way you change sense of life is very similar to how you change any of your habits, anything you autopilot, anything that's very intuitive, rather than something that's already under conscious control. So things like your emotions um, have a major intuitive factor and a low amount of direct conscious choice. Or another example would be your sexual orientation. It's very intuitive, it feels second nature, it feels like you don't have a choice, you have very little conscious control over it. The way you change those things, um, well, first of all, go to fallibleideas.com and click on the emotions essay on the front page, and that'll give you a bunch of relevant advice about how to change this stuff. I'll put it in the show notes. Now, second, it's important to understand in general terms 
how this kind of knowledge works and how learning works in general, because there's nothing special really about this knowledge. So the way you learn things in general is in three phases. Number one, you learn it at all. You go from like nothing, no solution, no answer, no opinion, whatever, to you've, you've reached a conclusion initially. You have some sort of answer. So you've decided people are fundamentally dishonest, you can't trust people or whatever. You know, you've come up with that, it is now conscious knowledge. Um, and you can break it down further, like how do we create our initial conscious knowledge? And you could talk about, for example, uh, guesses and criticism, brainstorming and error correction, stuff like that with critical rationalism. Um, there are other ways to break it down and categorize things and look at it. But anyways, for what we're talking about right now, the important thing is you have some sort of conscious learning process that can get you from zero to you've reached some sort of an answer. And that's not so mysterious because it's a lot of it is conscious. So like when you're a little kid, your sense of life stuff was much more conscious. Um, and now it's in the distant past now and it's harder to be conscious of. But when you are originally learning things, um, you have to do a lot of it consciously. Okay, so step one, consciously get from zero to some sort of answer. Now, that answer is available to you if you stop and think about it. That's sort of the point you're at. Um, if you take your time, you put effort in, you can get that answer. So step two, oh, and sorry, the other thing is that you can get the answer once. It's not reliable. You're not good at it, but you've gotten the answer at least one time. So step two is you practice it, you use it more times, uh, and you get better at it. So your success rate goes from, say, 20% of the time to 99% of the time. So you get used to the answer, you get better at it, you get more skilled at it. Whatever it is that your opinion is, um, you're getting more familiar with it. And then the third step is practicing for making it easy and cheap and fast. So it's one, coming up with any idea at all, two, getting like pretty familiar with your idea so you can actually use it um, more successfully. It's easiest to think of with skills. It's like you're trying to shoot a basketball through a hoop. At first, you make zero shots, like literally zero shots. Now, the point where you got to making just like one shot or a couple shots, it's like, okay, now you, you have some sense of how you do this but you still miss most of your shots, but you can sometimes do it. So that's step one, is going from miss all of your shots to you can sometimes get the ball through the basket. You've understood what you're doing, how to do it enough that it sometimes works. Then step two is you practice shooting the ball a bunch, and now you can get the ball through the basket, say 90% of the time. You know, you've gotten pretty good at it. So your success rate, your your correct your correctness rate is much higher now. And then the second, the third step, the second is a second type of practice. There's, you know, there's the initially figuring it out at all, and then there's two types of practice. So the first practice is for correctness. The second type of practice is to make it easy, cheap, automatic, autopilot, second nature, intuition, habitual. Uh, so you don't really have to think about it a lot. So that's when you practice like a lot and uh, you learn it more by rote. So this is what happens with walking, for example, is at first um, a toddler or baby or whatever 
tries to walk and falls down or doesn't even manage to stand up. And it's like there's a bunch of attempts where they like they want to manage to stand up and walk, but they fail. And then at some point they, they get it the first time and the second time and the third time. And it's like, okay, now they know something that they didn't know before. They've made like the initial big step where they figured out how to do it at all, even if it still doesn't usually work. And then they practice and they get to the point where they can frequently walk. Um, it frequently succeeds instead of fails. And then when you practice more, eventually you get to the point where you don't even have to think about it. Um, it's really easy and reliable. And, and so then once, once you get that, once you get something to the point where you can autopilot it, it's, it's a habit that you don't have to think about, then you can do other stuff. Your mental energy is freed up. So it no longer takes mental energy. So you can do something else at the same time. You can build on it. So you can chew gum while you walk, or you can uh, think about something while you walk or hold a conversation while you walk. So intellectual ideas are learned that way. You learn what is the idea, um, and then you learn to like use it correctly instead of incorrectly. And then you learn uh, how, how to make it intuitive and how to recognize when it applies. Um, so it's easy for you, you do it kind of automatically, you're always taking it into account uh, without having to consciously think about it. So it's like at first you're unaware of the idea, then you become aware this is an idea and you've got like the basic idea of what it is, but you still get it wrong a lot if you try to use it. And then you practice it and use it enough using a lot of conscious attention to get to the point where when you consciously try to use the idea, you can usually do it correctly. And then <coughs> finally you practice more and you get to the point where you, ne you don't forget about the idea. It's sort of always automatically there being taken into account. You're never going to screw it up or rarely. And because it takes so little effort, you can take it into account while putting your effort on some new, more advanced thing, more complicated thing. Okay. So that's the basic pattern of how learning works. Now, once you understand that pattern, it repeats over and over and over again. And that's the hierarchy of knowledge. Um, knowledge is not hierarchical in all senses. And that's something Popper has talked about. But it is hierarchical in some senses, like viewing it as a hierarchy works for some purposes, but not all purposes. Um, so for this purpose, you can view a hierarchy where there's the ideas you learn first. We'll call those level one ideas. And then there are the ideas you learn second. We'll call them level two ideas. And the ones that are level two, it's not just the order you learn it. It's whether or not it builds on a previous idea. So if you build, if you make an idea that's using previous ideas, that's a level two idea because it's building on top of level one ideas. So it's like chewing gum while walking would be a level two activity because it's building on top of walking. So you build up your ideas about the world and then you make more complicated ideas. You start with simple ideas and then you make more complicated ideas that combine previous ideas and use multiple previous ideas together. And in order to do that, you need to be really good at the previous ideas because you're not gonna be able to deal with five ideas that you're bad at at once, combine them, and then be good at that. Um, in order to deal with the complex combination of five ideas, all five of those ideas need to already have gone through the practice stages and they're now pretty second nature and intuitive for you um, rather than a struggle. So you build up, you say, 100 level one ideas. Uh, these are simple ideas that help you understand the world or think about it or uh, and then you figure out combinations of those to make your level two ideas. And then you figure out combinations of level two ideas to make level three ideas. And by the time you get to a level 50 idea, 
there's a huge amount of complexity. A level 50 idea is built from, let's say, three level 49 ideas, which each of those is built from three level 48 ideas, and each of those is built from three level 47 ideas. So the amount of level one ideas that get combined into a level 50 idea is uh, three times three times three times three times three, 50 times, three to the 50th power. Uh, it's less than that because there's repeats. So like a level one idea might be used in three different level two ideas and it's the same one. So you, there's because of the duplication, uh, the actual number is a bit lower, possibly significantly lower, like half or something. But anyways, yeah, three to the 50 is such a huge number that I, I think that I must have exaggerated. Um, but the real numbers are, are quite big. We build up quite a lot of complexity in our ideas. Your sense, ide your sense of life ideas are like level 20 ideas. So they're not the most basic, simple stuff um, for toddlers, but they're closer to that maybe than to your current high-level conscious thinking, which is around level 50. So the ideas you, use, you usually think about consciously are the most recent, say, five layers. So normally you think about ideas on levels 46 through 50, and you rarely revisit ideas that are more than five layers old. Because it's like, when you're working on your level three ideas, you'll revisit the level two ideas and you'll be like, okay, I need to work, I need to practice this previous idea a little bit. Um, I don't have it quite good enough. Like now that I'm trying to work with it, I see that it needs more improvement. And sometimes you'll go back further and you'll be like, you know, this level one idea is actually not good enough. And that's why I'm having trouble with this level two idea. So I'm going to fix the level one idea a bit, um, get the level two, two idea better. And now my current project working on this level three idea is going to go more smoothly because the building blocks I'm using are now improved. Anyways, it's very common to do that. But by the time you've built a level seven idea, um, you've already done that so many times and, and reviewed everything so much that you're rarely going to revisit the level one or two ideas because they already got revisited when dealing with levels three, four, five, six. Um, so whatever level you're currently on, you're, you're going to keep revisiting the more recent ideas that have been revisited fewer times, but the further back in ideas, the less you're going to revisit it, the more you run out of anything to improve about it. So by the time you get to level 50 ideas, it's been many years since you revisited a level one idea. You no longer consciously think about those. They're so automatic. You've built so much on top of them. Like they're, they're these very strong premises you have that you sort of designed all your thinking around and they're sort of, they've become kind of unquestionable to you because they're so ingrained in your thinking. They're so taken for granted as part of how the world works. That's hard for you to reconsider because if you reconsider a level one idea, then every level two idea that uses that would have to be reconsidered. And then every level three idea that uses one of those level two ideas would have to be reconsidered and so on and so forth. If you were going to reconsider a level one idea, you would end up having to reconsider like a third of your ideas or something. Some significant portion of all your ideas would be affected if you reconsider a level one idea, um, which is why it's very important to not build on top of shoddy building blocks. Um, once you get past around five levels past something, it's very hard to go back and change it because you've built so much on top of it. So if you're not sure about stuff, when in doubt, don't build far past it. You can build a little past it and try it out and see how it goes, like a couple layers on top of it, and see if it's able to hold up a few layers above it.
Um, but don't build 10 or 20 layers on top of something you're not confident about because then you could have a lot of wasted work. Anyways, so once, once you understand this uh, sort of structure of the mind, structure of your knowledge and learning, where there's these hierarchical levels where you build on top of previous things and so on, which is it's not a totally exact view of the mind. Um, so for example, sometimes you'll take a level 40 idea and a level 43 idea, and you'll combine them to make a new idea. Um, you don't have to only combine things strictly from the same level. That's one of the ways it was being approximate. There's other ways, but you know it's, it's a pretty useful view. So there's this hierarchical view, and it's hard to change the old stuff that you've practiced so much and made it super uh, intuitive. And so changing your sense of life is sort of like changing how you walk, um, changing your stride, which it's just such a habit, it's hard to... Uh, like change how your foot hits the ground, which is something you, you don't even consciously know. Like, do you, does your toe touch first? Does the ball of your foot touch first? Does your heel touch first? Uh, does your whole foot touch at once, like flat? You probably don't even know. Um, anyways, the sense of life stuff is actually a lot harder to change than that. That is stuff that's like the foot stuff. You can videotape yourself. You can and and see what you do, and then you can very carefully, like step by step, intentionally practice it a new way. You can say, I think you should hit heel first. So you can take a step and purposely put your heel down first. And you can practice that hundreds of times where you're consciously controlling how you put your foot down. Um, with abstract intellectual stuff and emotions and whatever, it's harder to videotape yourself and see what you do. And it's harder to make yourself do it a specific way. Like it's harder to reassert conscious control. So the basic way you fix these things is you have to revisit them. You have to consciously think about what what is your new idea you want to replace it with and then practice it. You have to go through the practice steps again. You have to get it right the first time or the first three times or whatever. And then you have to practice until you're getting it right 90% of the time or more. And then you have to practice until this new thing becomes automatic second nature, etc. So in order to replace one of these old ideas, you have to go through the whole learning process with a new idea to replace it with. A lot of people, they just, they learn a new idea and they think consciously, this sounds good, this sounds right, I'm, I'm persuaded. They don't have any counter arguments, so they think it's true. And then they think, okay, I've learned it. Um, but they skip all the practicing steps. They skip, uh, right, finding ways to practice it, finding ways to test themselves to check that they're actually getting it right. And they skip practicing it until it's second nature. And so they have these old ideas that are second nature, and then they have these new ideas that they think consciously are a good idea, but they're not second nature and they don't practice them or use them or develop them until they become second nature. So then the second nature ideas, the ones that are very like automated in your thinking and cheap and easy and don't take much conscious attention, those the large majority of the time are gonna be what you use and only occasionally are you going to consciously make sure you're using something else. So if you wanna change your sense of life, Essentially, you have to practice some new ideas. Create new ideas, figure them out in a thorough way instead of just thinking you're persuaded, and then actually practice them. Um, you have to find ways to practice them to get better at them and to get them to become intuitive for you. And it's not obvious how to do that with abstract ideas, but you have to figure it out. You can ask questions. Um, ideas 
have consequences. They have <laughs> they have applications. Um, whatever your idea is, you have to figure out things like what situations does this idea apply in and what does it tell me about the situation? What's its use or purpose? And then you have to actually, you know, to practice it, you have to find a bunch of situations like that for practice purposes. You know, create them artificially or seek them out or something. Find a bunch of situations, consciously say, okay, now I'm in this situation. What does the idea tell me? What, you know, if the idea is like you can trust people, which I'm not advocating, but just as a simple example, then you have to find a bunch of situations where you could trust or not trust someone and then tell yourself, okay, well, the idea is I can trust him. And then you proceed accordingly. And if you do that enough times, if you practice that enough times, you'll get used to it and it'll become, you know, the last 50 times that I was in a situation to trust or not trust someone, I trusted him because you've practiced it 50 times. Now, next time it comes up and you're not practicing, you're going to remember how to do that. You're going to remember what it was like. You're not going to forget about this idea that you practice so much. So you'll be able to act on it uh, when you're no longer practicing. Real ideas are harder because they're more complicated. It's not just like trust someone or don't trust someone. You have to understand sort of like, what does that mean? What does trust involve? Um, what sort of nuances are, are there to the issues? What are the limits of trust, uh, even when you should trust someone? What are the exceptions? And you have to know a lot of details to actually use ideas in your life. That's another thing is a lot of people, they learn sort of like slogans or like a couple paragraphs of explanation, maybe sometimes less. And they think now I know the idea, now I can use it. Um, but the actual ideas you act on in your life and using your thinking are a lot more complicated. They just have more meat on them, more, more details, more information, they have more to them. So if you want to replace them with new ideas, you have to develop the new ideas in a much more thorough way. You have to come up with uh, dozens of questions that your new ideas should answer or address in some ways. Things that are relevant, things that could matter about it. And then come up with the answers as well. And practice all of that.